So I want to continue the series on faith. Faith is central. And we leave Easter, we find faith is actually the key as we leave the cross and we go in to the Christian life. We first of all looked at a fearless faith that God goes with us. And then last week we looked at aligning with God. Faith always has to align with, with him. Well, today I want to talk about I, instruction, because faith is not stagnant. Faith is constantly moving. Uh, faith is supposed to be active. Faith is a verb by which we move forward in our Christian walk. So we never stop learning about faith. Faith is an ongoing process by which we learn more and more about our Savior, and we learn more and more about what it means to be a believer. So nobody ever graduates the instruction. I don't care if you have a doctorate degree or whatever it is, and you have all these degrees, you never stop learning about faith. A stagnant faith is really a problematic faith. And so uh, I want to take us to two vehicles, actually, by which we grow our faith. And the first one comes to us from Second Timothy. Now, Second Timothy was when the Apostle Paul wrote his final letter to his spiritual son, if you will, and he was passing the baton to Timothy. Paul would be executed uh, after this letter, and Paul writes, I, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Uh, my time is at hand. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. So in a sense, we're being passed along this as well, and we're going to look at Scripture. First of all, God gave us Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, and we look at the origin. Now, I've preached on this before. I don't know how many times, but at least two. Now, Paul writes to Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture, graphe in the Greek language, and it simply refers to a portion of Scripture. But before this word, Scripture is the word all. So when we think about all, we think about the Old Testament and we think about the New Testament. By, by the way, the Old Testament is rich. It is rich. When you read the Proverbs or you read Psalms, uh, you find out the wisdom of God and it, all of these prophecies that we had from the Old Testament. Uh, those are breathed out. I heard one person say, I'm a New Testament Christian. This was years ago, and I said, no, 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 no. No, no, you're not a New Testament Christian. You're a whole Testament Christian. Because our roots are formed going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything that went through. That's part of our rich theology. We never divorce ourselves from that theology or from those scriptures. So think of yourself as a whole Testament Christian. The Old Testament is inspired. The New Testament is inspired. Theopneusos. Uh, Theopneusos. And this is the word breathed out, and, and it means inspired. But it goes a little deeper than that. Liberal 
well, I don't even want to call them theologians. Liberals will look at the scripture and they'll go, well, that was for that day. Or this is a human document. It is. It is partly a human document. And I'll explain that in just, just a minute. But the, the liberal scholars, and I'm thinking of Suzanne Johnson as one of them that said, uh, she's with the feminist movement, the feminist theolo uh, theology movement. Uh, she once said that Paul was a woman hater. And I, had, and I had to respond to this. One of the professors, and I can't remember which one it was, wanted me to write a rebuttal to her book. And so I did. <laughs> and all through the through my paper, the professor said, be nice, be nice, be nice. Um, the fact is, it was written, it was written by men. But the fact is, the Bible was breathed out. It was human authors writing under the inspired God. So what does the Bible say about the Bible? Well, for that one, we go to 2 Peter 1.21. 1, uh, 1, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is all Scripture. Talking about not only the, the prophecy of Genesis 1.1 and, and the formation of the world and the creation of man, but everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament was inspired and was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the, the way that I like to explain this, and I think it's a really good way to explain it, is with a boat. Now, when you look at this picture, you see a boat with the sail, you see the rudder, and the only way that that boat moves is by the wind. So if you, if you think about biblical inspiration, the way God intended it, for all scripture is breathed out by God. Think of the sail as the human author. When you go back and you look at the New Testament and you look at the way Luke wrote and you look at the way Matthew wrote and you look at the way Paul wrote and the way that Peter wrote, which is uh, stark Greek language versus Paul's more polished language, and also you see their personalities come out. Uh, those are the sails, and there's different types of sails. There's white sails, there's blue sails, there's different shaped sails, but the fact is they help move the boat along, but they don't do it by themselves. They do it by the wind, and they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is blown by the Spirit, even though it is a human author, it is blown by the Spirit, and God is directing the boat. That's a wonderful way to, to explain the divine inspiration. So when Paul sat down to write, Dearly beloved, he was being guided by the Holy Spirit. He was being guided by his own personality. God was using his personality. In, 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 in fact, uh, when, when you look at the scriptures, I can look at a passage, well now I can, but back in the day I couldn't. I could look at certain words and go, oh, that's Paul. Because I know it's his personality. Now you, you think about Peter, 
uneducated fisherman. And yet God used him in miraculous ways, not because of Peter, but because of the wind and the Holy Spirit guiding him to write the scriptures. So when we talk about all scripture is breathed out by God, it is all encompassed under that word inspired. Something else to think about. There's also the breath of God, which makes the scriptures living. So when we read the word of God as believers, we read it and God speaks to us. It is because the Bible is inspired. It has the breath of God. And so when we read the scriptures, we are hearing the very voice of God in our lives. God simply used Peter, and he wrote and allowed Peter's personality to come through. The Apostle Paul, he wrote and allowed, allowed Paul's personality to come through. Ezekiel, Ezekiel used by God. And by the way, let me, let me go here for a minute. By the way, think about writing prophecies a thousand years before Christ... And, they be, and they're being fulfilled a thousand years later. You cannot make that stuff up. It is impossible. It is impossible for somebody, Malachi, Ezekiel, all these, all these Old Testament prophets, to, to say something's going to happen in Bethlehem. And then years, years, years later, boom, Jesus. Right? So when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, we are talking about, yes, it is a human element. There is a human element involved. But the fact is that God was guiding the writers to write exactly what God wanted. So think of it this way. When you come to the Scriptures and you look at it, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Do you know who's writing that? God. Now, when I sit down and write something, it's not inspired. I mean, I may have a movement, but my stuff's not scripture. My stuff, you, I mean, you can learn from books. I'm not saying you, you can't learn from books. But when we come, I want you to think about this. Do you know which book in all of history has been most attacked? Do you know why? Because it's God's word. And God's word is truth. And so when you have truth, you have people wanting to debunk it. But the fact is, brothers and sisters, this has passed the test of time. It has been burned. It has been abused. It has been battered. But guess what? I still have the Bible in my hands this morning. And brothers and sisters all around the world have paid ultimate prices for this treasure that we have. So all scripture is breathed out by God. It is a living document. So now the question is, what is the value? The origin is in God. God is the originator of scripture. So why, the, why do we have the Bible? Well, Paul gives us. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness. Now let me stop here for a minute. This, this is really for pastors. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus is for pastors who will stand before their people and they will teach them the word of God. But the value for all of us, if we think about it in a sec- secondary level, the value for all of us is that it is profitable for teaching, like what I'm doing this morning, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Ophelimos, which is the word for profitable, which means beneficial or useful. So the Bible, which was spoken by God to us by biblical writers, was actually for our benefit. I know this is basic stuff, but it's, it's good once in a while to go back and look at the basic stuff again because we kind of we get away from it. So here we have something that is good for us. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both in the present life and in the life to come. So yes, work out, uh, do your push-ups, sit-ups, and there, there's some benefit from that. The body gets benefit from it. But when you're thinking about spiritual, this is the ultimate training book by which we live our lives. Right? I mean, everything that we do in our Christian life should be done according to the Scripture. Now, this word teaching, didaskalia, in the Greek, refers to instruction, both formal and informal. So, I like what the Greek lexicon uh, describes here, the equivalent of to teach, in many languages, simply a causative form of the verb meaning to learn or to know. For example, to cause to learn, to cause to know. In choosing the term teach, it is important to avoid the expression which denotes merely classroom activity. And this is why I brought this out. Teaching is to be done either formally, such as a Sunday morning or in a Sunday school class. Uh, I don't know if small group is formal, but and it's to be done informal. And the informal issue is where we look at the scriptures ourselves or a friend tells us about a particular verse that helps us in our Christian walk. St. Augustine, at least the way I understand him, he sat down underneath the tree and read the scriptures and got saved. The reason the Bible can do that is because the Bible is living and speaks to the heart. You, you don't need a biblical scholar to teach you the scriptures. It's good to have one. It's, it's good to listen and pay attention. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is our instructor. And as we read the Bible and as we understand the Bible and as we get more and more in our faith, as we grow, we get better and better at recognizing God. Uh, elegos, elegos is the word for reproof. And this means to state that this, this is tough. This, this is really, really tough because we don't like correction. None of us really like to be corrected, but this word reproof means to state that someone is wrong with adequate proof of wrongdoing. So, when you read the scripture, 
and you get to a passage where you go, ouch. That is the living God encountering you trying to correct something in your life. And this is exactly what the scriptures will do. It points out something that is wrong in our lives. The next word, correction, to cause something to be corrected. Here's here's the issue. When God points something out in your life, and you know it's not right, you need to correct it through repentance. Because the Bible is given to us not, not to use verses for our own defense, but to allow God to speak to our hearts so that we can be instructed in the ways of faith. And that we can then redirect our lives. Think about that ship with the sail. Redirect our lives to allow God to navigate us as we live our Christian lives. And the, and the way that that takes place is through the scripture. And then, of course, training in righteousness. Paideia dikaiosine. Uh, and that is proper behavior or doing what God requires. Uh, <clears throat> this is also in the sense of either formal or informal. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why this girl's on her phone. She's not paying attention to the professor, I guess. Um, Yeah, I said in a lot of classes, and I don't ever want to set in them again, uh, but that was formal instruction. And I'll get into some of the professors later in this sermon, but when we read the Bible, think of ourselves as in a Bible class. When you're reading at home or you're listening to it, one thing I love about our, and I think they're, they're actually doing away with CDs, right? That, 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 goes in, that go in cars, now they're all downloaded. Do you know how much, we have so many things that you can put on your smartphones, your dumb, your dumb phones. Um, mine, mine always seems to be dumb, but you, you can download those and listen to the Bible as you drive, drive to work. If it takes 20 minutes to drive to work and you you use your phone or a CD, you can listen to two or three chapters in 20 minutes. You get God's word in. There's, 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 let me put it this way. There is no excuse for not having daily encounters with the scripture. You have 10 minutes. I have 10 minutes. Now, I have an advantage because I have to study this all the time for every, but you do have 10 minutes. When I think about the amount of TV we watch, and yet we neglect this, it's, it's problematic. Okay, that is that God gave us the scripture. Now, there's always a danger in any topical textual sermon uh, where the pastor can piece things together and it don't really make sense. I've tried to help here. Um, the second thing is that God gave us scripture to apply it to our lives. So it's something that we have to act on. This is an instructive faith. Now, we look at the first one here, the word uh, ponder. Finally, brothers, and this is in Philippians chapter 4, if you will. 
Um, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, when I think of the book of Philippians, I think of the, the word joy. It's, it's, it's a very joyful book. So one of the rare books that doesn't really mention sin. So Paul was very thankful for the church at Philippi. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things. This is more of an instruction. Think about these things. Logizomai, to think. And it means to think in detail. It means to ponder daily and let the words permeate our lives. It's the word think. Now, some scholars think that this is a reference to Hellenistic moralism. And I I had these memorized, but so many times I forget anyway. But uh, there there were four tenets of Hellenistic moralism. One was self-control, prudence, justice, and courage. One of those is in here, but not all of them. uh, Gordon Fee, one of my favorite scholars, wrote this. Despite its several correspondences to Hellenistic moralism and Jewish wisdom, however, this is Paul's own enumeration. It neither reflects the four cardinal virtues of Hellenism, nor is there anything quite like it as a list in the ancient world, either in form or content. So... When you think about this list, it's more than just to go, worthy of honor, worthy of praise, whatever's lovely, whatever's pure. It's to really get down and think about each word in context. Not only to think about, but to apply. So if you had a three by five card after this sermon, and after you do an excellent Mother's Day, forget that you take a three by five card and just write each one whatever is lovely whatever is pure whatever is holy and and write them down and ponder them tomorrow morning before you go out into the big wide world that is supposed to be on your mind at least as i understand the word think it is to be on your mind it is to permeate your innermost being so the question is Ponder these things daily. Number one is the word true. And Aletheia, I'm not going to get into all the Greek stuff. You guys are probably Greeked out at this point. But uh, the word true means true speech. Of course, you need to counterbalance that with love. But you need to be real with people. You need to be truthful. And actually, Paul puts this in the context of the church. But you can use this in the world, too. Be truthful. Don't have hidden agendas. The second word is the word honorable, worthy of respect. Uh, this came across one of the news feeds that I, that I follow. And J.D. Vance won. It was in Ohio. It was a big deal. 
he was, uh, it was in the primary, and J.D. Vance was running against another senator, and J.D. Vance won. It was a, it was a kind of a shock that he won. Um, but it also talks about the corruptness of our government. Anyway, J.D. Vance wins, and I was shocked to learn that the Republican that he ran against and let me see if I wrote his uh, if I wrote his name down. Matt Dolan. Matt Dolan was the incumbent, and this outsider J.D. Vance, who was an author, came in and beat him. The reason is 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 pretty simple. People are tired of politicians, and he did not run as a politician. But Matt Dolan did something that totally shocked me. He wrote this two-paragraph thing about how honored he was to run against J.D. Vance, and now we need to support J.D. Vance. I looked at that, and I go, that's worthy of respect. You lose, and then you congratulate the winner. It's I've, I've said this before. It's never wrong to do the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And that was, to me, that was honorable. That, that was worthy of respect. I was like, wow, you don't see that every day. Um, anyway, the word just is righteousness. The kind of CNA, same, well, I said I wasn't going to give you more Greek, but it just pours out, I guess. But uh, righteousness Aim for that right standing with God every day. Every day. Seek to live, and I, we're not going to do it perfectly. There's nobody in this room, including myself, that's going to do the Christian life perfectly all the time. That's why Jesus went to the cross, <laughs> to pay for our imperfections. So the word just. Then there's the word pure, which is holy. Think of temple. So many of us, when we come in, right, we're on our best behavior, right, when we come to church. So when you leave the door, pretend like you're going into church because you'll always be, you'll always bring your A game. You'll always think holiness. Think about what is holy and how you would act in church. And when you leave and go outside, and I leave and go outside, that we live that way, before a world. Brothers and sisters, there are people that need to know Jesus. They need to know Christ. And the only way that they're going to know Christ is by our lives. How we live and what they see. And uh, uh, I, I, I once, heard a, once heard a story, and I can't remember where I heard it, but the man said, I'm a Christian. And he said, please don't, please don't tell anybody. Because that's... that's Please don't, because you're going to actually hurt the gospel. So this word pure means to holy, think temple. Then the word lovely. I was shocked by this word. I was expecting, and probably did back in the day when I preached this, I don't know, many moons ago. Um, the, the word refers to friendly disposition. One, one pastor said it this way, show teeth. Smile. Be friendly.
not, you see this. That's it's really a really a really tough way. Who should be the happiest people in the world? Us. We don't, yeah, we may go through difficult times and we're not always smiling, I understand that. But we have an underlying peace that the world does not have. And so when they see us smiling and being, uh, I, I, I would always joke about these movies, the approachable Jesus, and he'd be smiling all the time. But that's what we need to be doing. We need to be approachable, loving, caring, kind. That's how you draw people to the gospel. Why are you so friendly all the time? Why are you so smiley? I remember a woman in my first church, Della Hall. Boy, that woman could cook fried chicken. And I got as much of it as I could every time she invited me. I got as much of it. Della Hall would walk through the door. Hi, Pastor Mike. And she was from the South, but I love her. So... When her mother died, hi, Pastor Mike, she put me to shame because it never seemed like you could rattle this woman no matter what was going on in her life. She just smiled. And she was so happy. And I thought, hey, that's Della Hall. We sh and I'm not kidding you. I was there five years, and I don't think I ever saw her cry. Maybe after one of my sermons, but uh, she was happy all the time. And I know she went through some stuff, but she was always smiling. And this word lovely means a friendly disposition. How much more does it cost? to smile or to be friendly how much more I I met a lot of crazy people this week angry people because I was doing the speed limit this guy was boiling over I'm like riding my bumper taunting me and I'm like just 45 And I'm like, man, that guy needs Jesus. Now, true, you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. I get that. But I saw this everywhere. I saw it at Walmart. Angry people. So what? That guy has three items. You have 50. Why not be the bigger person and let him go first? Smile. I love Hogan's Heroes, and I, I remember one time where New, Newkirk said, so we're going to be five minutes late to the ball, so what? Smile. Be friendly this week. Go out with a big smile on your face. Greet people. Say, hey, it's good to see you. Reflect Christ. Reflect the loveliness of Christ. And then there's the word commendable. Conduct worthy of considering. 
that kind of goes without saying. This worthy of praise is actually refers to ethical judgment. Make the right call. Richard Melnick, another one of my favorite scholars. Paul turned his thoughts to providing an environment of peace by unified thought. This is for the church. This is not just you individually. This is for us. The church was to make these matters a collective goal. That's, this is our goal, whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever's right. And God would rule them. Individual Christians were also to conduct their lives this way. This speaks to the need of rearranging our lives and our thoughts through discipline so that God, the God of peace, can work freely in your life. So it's more, write, write these down. Take a three by five card, write them down. Those of you that go to work or wherever you go tomorrow, just sit, just sit in your car for a minute and read these through just real, real quick. Ponder them. Say, Lord, help me live these, these principles out today and do it every day. That's kind of an everyday thing. The last one, not only to ponder what God said to us, and these are instructions that God gave us, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, but then to practice. So Paul circles around now, and he he comes and he says this in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So everything I've talked about this morning Actually, that God talked about, I just preached on it. Uh, Kerjima, expound. I expounded on what God said. Doesn't mean I'm always right, but you need to go out and practice this week. Just take this and go out and practice it. Now, Paul uses the word pro-show, means to carry out or perform, to practice. Paul was not only encouraging the Philippian church to practice the list above but he was also telling them to follow my example. Think of it this way. When you're out on the highways and byways of life, you represent what Christ is. And therefore, people can look at you and go, why are you different? Why, why are you different than this guy? Well, because I have Christ in my life. I have Jesus in my heart. I thought about this a lot this week, and even... Uh, I even emailed Dr. Sackett, who was one of the, the, the professors that I worked with when I was in the doctorate program. And I won't tell you what I said to him, but I, I thanked him. I, I thanked him for being a godly professor who didn't just coddle me, challenged me. And... Uh, I found out that he is retired. And he said, Michael, not only do I remember you, but I don't ever want to hear from you again. Now he didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say it. He said, Michael, you never know how much that means to me at this point in my life. Uh, I think of some men that mentored me. I think of Dr. Jerry Windsor in Bible College. Expository preaching is not a way, it's the way. That's what I learned from him. Expository preaching, meaning you take a passage of Scripture and you preach through it 
you examine the words. He gave me the passion for why I'm standing here today. I didn't get here by myself. You didn't get where you are by yourself. People helped you along the way. They came alongside you. Uh, Dr. Chuck Sackett leaned over my desk and he said, you can write a heck of a lot better than you're writing. And I, I wasn't real happy with that at the moment. went in and one of the guys in the in the program with me he goes and he he railed on me dr sackett railed on me we got a break and we went in and one of the guys came in and he goes wow mike that was brutal i said yeah it was brutal but what i realized dr sackett was doing was he was trying to elevate my game a little that's what he was doing. I didn't bring that up to him when I emailed him. I just said, you've had such a positive influence in my life. But, yeah. Who else we got up here? Dr. Sweeney has nothing to do with preaching. I was in his history class. It was on the 17th, uh, 18th century church. I tried to email him, but it came back undeliverable, so now i got to figure out how to do that. I had to do a book review on Charles Finney and the evangelical rise of evangelism in the 18th century. I'm sorry, the 19th century. I'm out of a century. So eight, 1800s. Charles Finney and the Rise of American Evangelicalism, uh, Oberlin College in Ohio. He was the one that started that. One morning, and I said this, and, and Dr. Sweeney, see how friendly he is? He was just like that in class, always smiling. That, that's just a snapshot. And I told the story. I said, I just got to tell the guys, I got to tell you guys and gals this, this story. And I said, Charles Finney was walking from his office to go teach a class and a girl walked by him and she said this to Charles Finney good morning Satan Charles Finney fired back good morning daughter of Satan <laughs> and Dr. Sweeney got the biggest laugh out of that he says Michael you're killing me but so I had to give a book review and See, I was going to say Holly. She's not here today. But Holly went with me at Christmas to his house. He invited all of his students, and he read to us Martin Luther, his Christmas Eve sermon, and read it to us. It didn't have anything to do with preaching, but it did have to do with preaching because I, I do have a love for history. I love history. The Bible is history, and I watch a lot of history shows. And So Dr. Sweeney, was instrumental and as soon as I get a chance and by the way I was excited to learn that um, Dr. Windsor was still preaching he's got to be 90 
And I saw a video of him from three years ago where he's preaching. I was so excited. And then Dr. Grant Osborne. The Science of Biblical Hermeneutics. What a nightmare. Out of all my professors, this guy was tough. He would spit stuff back to you, and he would say, this is not right, and he would spit it back. But I'll tell you what he did. He made me think more critically about the text. So all of these men had a huge influence in my life, and I, I'm going to try to reach every one of them. These two, Dr. Sweeney and uh, Dr. Grant Osborne, they wrote books and they signed my books. But true, true to form, Grant Osborne said, preach the word. That was it. Grant Osborne. Preach the word. Not like it's been such a wonderful summer. <laughs> Great to have you in class. Just preach the word. That was it. Bluntly. But that's the way he was. And most people went into his class a little nervous. I was in the group. What do you think he's going to do today? Who's he going to get? I'm not going to be. There's not going to be anything sticking on me today. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, you did not get where you are today without people that influenced your life. Paul says, look at my life. Follow me. Practice those things that I just wrote and what the Bible says and follow my example. And these, these men and other, I'd need two more sermons to preach on the influence, but these were the big four. And out of all of them, Dr. Windsor. I just remember being as a, I was in my 30s. I was so excited when I learned, wow, this is a sermon. I was excited. And then, I, of course, 33 years, I'm trying to still learn the sermon. They don't always bring my A game. I realize that. And the God of peace will be with you. Theos, the one supreme ruler, will give you arene. I love that word, that word peace, arene, peace. And that word means tranquility. For me, that's, that's one reason I love trail life. Boys, let's go hit the hills, get your backpacks, we're going to go, and you get out there, and it's just peace. Have you ever slept in the woods at night, except that one time over here somewhere, that bird was all night. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! And then it, it, it got quiet. Ian, do you remember that? You, 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 you do remember it, don't you? All night long. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! And I would be like, oh. and I go, wait a minute, it's been still for 10 minutes. Way over here in the corner. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! Mostly, mostly it's peaceful. Mostly it's peaceful. But you get out there, and there's nothing around, and I think of how tranquil it is. Yeah, I'm glad you remember that. I, I, 
we all didn't get much sleep that night. I really wanted to take something to that bird. I wanted, I, I wanted to find that bird and say, stop it. God gave us the scripture. We can trust it. Yes, written by men, but inspired by God. We can trust this. Anything you want to know about life is in here. It's not on CNN. It's not on ABC. It's not on Fox News. Everything that you need to know about life is in here. Read it. And then... When you're reading it, allow God to correct you. And anything that's going on in your life, let it correct and say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry I asked for forgiveness and I want to do it the right way. Help me do it. That's it. And then let people see Jesus in you by practicing these virtues and by being an example of Christ to a world that desperately needs to 